Hello, and welcome to Think Like a Game Designer. I'm your host, Justin Gary. In this podcast, I'll be having conversations with brilliant game designers from across the industry with a goal of finding universal principles that anyone can apply in their creative life. You can find episodes and more at thinklikeagamedesigner.com. In today's episode, I speak with Stefan Engenblum. Stefan works at Supercell, a company that has made games that have had hundreds of millions of downloads, sometimes 100 million downloads in a single day. They make billions of dollars with their games every year, and Stefan has worked on some of the biggest ones, including Clash Royale and Heyday. This is an incredible episode where we unpack what it means to build games at this scale. What's the process in Supercell for how games get greenlit, how games get destroyed, even when they're going to make tens of millions of dollars or more, and the process of going to get a job like this. We talk about the 2 a.m. party principle, which can tell you how to find the career that you need. We talk about how to build a community, and Stefan builds a community in Finland and creates an entire national board game community. And we show how he does that and talk about how you might do that for your own communities. We talk about how to react and analyze player feedback and tons more. I knew Stefan was going to be a great guest when I had a conversation with him that I talk about at at GDC. But I think he over-delivered with an incredibly detailed view of how these massive games get made and the kinds of trade-offs and thinking that goes into it. So I know I loved this conversation and I know that you will. So without further ado, here is Stefan Engenblum. Hello and welcome. I am here with Stefan Engenblum. I'm hoping I got the name right, but Stefan, it's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so so this is actually, uh, in many ways, me returning the favor. Um, we get to meet. I got invited to a Supercell event uh, that was at GDC um, just this year, and it was by far my favorite event of the entire convention gdc is game developers conference kind of the the heart of a you know the 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 game industry getting together and and really kind of deep diving on a lot of subjects and it was really just a supercell didn't have anything they were trying to sell they didn't have anything they were trying to promote it was just a bunch of like people interested in game design getting together to talk about game design the art of game design and you and i ended up having a really great extended conversation there and i was like okay we got to share this with the with the audience so i I guess i just want to you know one say thanks for that um and two kind of get a get a sense is it it what is it like working at supercell is it really a uh that kind of vibe uh permeates through the whole community because it really felt like a quite a quite a refreshing thing for a company like that Oh yeah, uh, I think it was like a very supercell thing actually, like that whole event. Like it was very true to our like vibe in a way. I'm super happy yeah. to hear actually. That was our first time we organized something like that, and we definitely wanted to keep keep it like very, very casual, very like hey, let's get together, let's get senior people together, let's not like have any fuss, let's not have the like any kind of marketing talk, any let's not try to sell, let's just like talk about games talk about game design and like get to know each other and nothing nothing else and so it's super happy to hear that like you you enjoyed it yeah pass and, on. and yeah please please do and 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 so this was another thing that was great for me because it was partially because of this podcast i kind of got invited 
And I get to, you know, there's a, I've known this for a while, but I haven't really had a chance to deep dive. There's such a huge game community, you know, Finnish game community and, you know, Helsinki in particular, there's just, there's a ton of companies, there's a ton of designers out there and I haven't really had an opportunity to speak with many of them. And so I'd love to kind of dig in a little bit to your origin story, you know, for a lot of the stories I tell and that people tell on this podcast, it's very very American centric, uh, just cause that's where, you know, I spend most of my yeah. time. And, 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 and so, uh, what is it like to kind of start a game design career and how did you get started out there? I think, I think a lot of people would be really interested so they can know that it's not just, uh, not just the people who I happen to know from California that, uh, <laughs> that could become great game designers. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Finland has, has, uh, has a really bustling like game industry and game community. And it's, it's actually like gotten a bit more known also like around the world through through some big companies like and, and known companies like Supercell and Robio, who's known for Angry Birds and Remedy Entertainment, known for, for example, Alan Wake <clears throat> and Max Payne. And uh, oddly, like listening to like your podcast, like many of the origin stories on personal level are actually like fairly similar also in the fin like the origins of like what games we played as kids and stuff like that that's like very similar uh but like yeah finland has its own own like uh peculiarities so uh let's start with my origin story then so i uh i have played games of course my entire life i really for me started with like traditional card games and then also like just with a 52 card deck and then uh, also like computer games with the early computers. We had an MSX Spectra video, which was like at the same era as the Commodore 64. Uh, the Commodore 64 was like super popular in Finland, but like we we ended up having an MSX Spectra video and I, I loved it. I think it's better. That's my hot take. Uh, and uh, we had that. I was like six years old or something, four years old when we got that. My brother was like five years older than me. He was more focused on the, on kind of the hardware stuff and like making things work. And I just played the games. And uh, yeah, and then we then we got an Amiga after that, and we were also like playing board games. And we had this like small group of like six people, and we were then also playing like started playing tabletop role playing games first it was my brother and his friends but they got me in like i was the i was the young annoying little brother who had to be taken in but like yeah hmm. we kept on playing like tabletop rpgs and then also some of us started playing magic the gathering and uh, yeah we had from tabletop rpgs we had like rune quest and dungeons and dragons those were like certainly the ones that we played most also some cyberpunk uh, and the call of Tulhu. Yeah. Then we. Then eventually, like yeah, Magic: The Gathering. I played quite a lot. Like I, I went really deep. Like I ended up playing like in tournaments and stuff. Like I didn't go to like pro level as as I know you you've been, but like I did play in like some pro tour qualifiers and uh, that we had in Finland. There was like a very active and still is like an active like kind of uh, Magic: The Gathering community in Finland. Uh, there was even a couple of, I think there's been like two or three world champions also like coming from Finland in Magic the Gathering. Yes, no, it's a strong, uh, it's a strong game community and design community. And, 
yeah a lot of yeah. as 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 you've echoed already a lot of the origin stories of uh people in this industry tend to come through through rpgs like dungeons and dragons and through tcgs like match together yeah absolutely and, and and like this uh this kind of a Specific, specifically with Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering, there's this very strong, when it comes to game design, there's this very strong thing that like in those both those games, like you are also a game designer. Whether you, you're a player or you are a dungeon master, you are in some parts like a game designer. You are like partially responsible for the experience that's happening at the table. Uh, even in, in like Magic the Gathering, you build decks and stuff, and you also like kind of you wanna uh, you wanna like build decks that are similar to the decks that your opponents have at, in terms of power level. That's what you see often when you now read read on like online about like commander games and stuff like that. People are like have a lot of these social conflicts about like oh he came with this power level and i came with that power level and whatnot and and uh, like the experience weren't great so like everybody is actually kind of responsible for that experience but that's like it's not like super evident in tabletop rpgs it's more evident but anyway i'm no i i find i find there's a really interesting little tangent there right when it comes to i mean we've you know i definitely dove into that subject before when it comes to you know these games force you to design and create but it's there's there's a there's a nuance there that we haven't talked about as much when it comes to like these kinds of multiplayer social games like Commander and mm, Magic mm. where you're playing and you know I remember even during my earliest days playing Magic before I got really super competitive with it it would just be these massive multiplayer games there wasn't a concept of Commander but we'd all just kind of be playing and you know you didn't want to be the guy that brought like this super competitive like stasis deck which locked down everybody's yeah. resources and made it the game not fun everybody hated that guy right so like there was no explicit role per se but there was a uh kind of social norm and you're yeah. you know more even more recognizing like yeah everybody kind of wanted to win but what you're really trying to do is craft this experience and we're all responsible for co-creating that experience which is of course what you do in a role-playing game or co-creating a story or co-creating an experience and then in 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 many of these kinds of games of magic where you're not not just the hyper competitive level um there's a lot going on and people express themselves through those things right you want to build your your elf deck or your angel deck or some cool combo thing right this it just gives you an opportunity to kind of get your feet wet in in game design uh even though you're yeah. playing in somebody else's sandbox and there's now i imagine if i when i do this uh podcast five years from now or 10 years from now i'm going to get a lot of people who are like oh i started with minecraft and i started with you know roblox True. and these other things roblox is more True. explicit about it but there's a lot of these things that give you this freedom to create that i think is the the precursor so i think it's a nice way for people to kind of get there people want to start with design don't necessarily want to have a uh, you know, have to go all the way to making their own games, make games within other people's games, right? Using modding communities, using tools like building decks and magic, absolutely. or, you know, that's, it's a, it's a great way to get started. Um, I have, yeah, I have so sure. many questions I want to ask about your time at Supercell, cause there's a lot of fascinating things there, but so then this jump, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's just cover, I just want to cover the yeah, link I'll, here. I'll, so for, I'll, yeah. yeah, I'll try to, I'll try to like, kind of make, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's, if there's a short version, but I'll, I'll try. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> then, then, uh, in my like teenage years and late teenage years, like it was, <clears throat> it was harder to get together to play like tabletop RPGs to have like this campaign, have the same group uh, get together and stuff like. So I started getting into board games, and uh, because that was more agnostic of like the the kind of the group, so I could play with different people at different times and different amounts of people. So and and. Uh, 
I got like very deep. I got into the into the kind of the Finnish board game scene and uh, ended up co-creating, uh, co-founding the Finnish board game uh, society in Finland, mm. and uh, and really kind of like uh, be part of like driving this kind of new Euro game renaissance, like in in Finland. So I was like, I feel that I Around played what some, timeline was some this? Part. This this was like early two thousand. So there okay, was like so, so I, I think one of those like cool like I remember like two games that were like really influential like mind blowing for me those were like Carcassonne and and Tikal and then also mm-hmm. like Puerto Rico so it was that time like 2001 Carcassonne was uh, launched if I remember correctly so that was like yeah. that's that's also when this like kind of the whole boom so it's it's kind of like happened simultaneously elsewhere as well so there was also like rio grande games was founded in u.s and uh yeah and this was definitely a time where euro yeah. games were kind of were kind of taking off and and i, I don't know maybe it's it maybe worth defining euro games for those that don't know what that means it's it's not that necessarily that easy to define but do you have a a short definition yeah. you can give for people that can they can follow along with the types of games we're talking about okay yeah so uh i there's there's kind of like two schools of games generally like when it comes to board games there's the american style games and uh, and then there's euro games and and of course there's lots of blend and stuff but the kind of the uh, first the american style games that's like the that's your like war games and very thematic games nowadays like typical uh, examples are also like fantasy flight games and stuff and then there's euro games and those stem those kind of originate more from like germany and german games and they are a, a bit more abstract, so they they kind of feel more abstract. There's like a feels like there's a theme that is based on like the classic uh, Mediterranean trade. Or, we are or farming like most of the time, yeah, or far- farming <laughs> or something. But they, they're also like one one key one uh, descriptive thing is that it's all, all uh, often like very peaceful themes, like trading and yes. farming, rather than like war and conflict. And, and direct confrontation and it's it's a lot about like being efficient being like the most efficient farmer or being the getting like getting victory points or getting most money or something rather than like eliminating the other players yeah that's and, great uh, that's a great they a are great also like often thing. often quite yeah they're often also a bit shorter in in length and, and a bit like more tight rules wise yeah more much more much more tight mechanics and less less theme focused more mechanics focused is the simplest way i've heard that but actually there's a lot of really great threads you pulled out of there but what so i just wanted to kind of give people enough you know so they could understand where yeah, we're at sure. but what i actually want to sure. dig into is you founded the finnish what was it, it was the finnish board game society was that, yeah the finnish board game society yeah. yeah so so this is one of the things i often talk about for you right you've you you know for people who are a lot of times when I say you want to get in the game industry, you know, start going to conventions, start going, finding a community near you, start getting involved with people. But for people who are in communities where they don't exist, or there may be not as much of that formal structure, you can create that structure. And so that's something that you did. And I just, I think it's a really underappreciated part of the process. If you start to, if you serve that purpose of building those communities, um, you are immediately going to get you're adding value already so you're already going to build relationships you're going to start to get more opportunity to try things and learn games and learn from other people and so it's a it's Absolutely. a really powerful tool so maybe if you have a couple of tips for people i know this was a little while ago now either you know how you would recommend people go about it or maybe some of the things that worked or lessons you learned as you were building a community like that 
Yeah, I, I think like things have also like changed on that front a bit because like now now like online communities are way more like vibrant. So you got I, I think you it's like a bit easier to like get in, but but it requires work and and it's and requires you to be like active. But yeah, I I don't know what would be like there. I think there are a lot of like resources and a lot of good tips like around there for like organize. I th- I think you can like start very like don't. I think you shouldn't think too big. Like think of things like oh sh- oh, there's this cool convention, like local convention, or maybe the local game store. Like maybe I could like organize a little tournament there. Like that would be fun. Like I I really like this game of mine. Let's say it would be Soulforge Fusion. Like so, good choice. Good choice. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so like uh, hey, I, I could like organize like a game of uh, or, like a tournament of Soulforge Fusion. That would be cool. Like I'll go and suggest this to my local game store and then you can go there. and then like you know start with something like that like and uh and and i i think one important aspect i think is like or something because i mean this this whole topic has actually resonated with me quite a lot when you when you have talked about it in your podcast and but i think like one one thing for me was that like i never did it because I specifically thought that like it's going to lead to the game industry. It's going to lead for me to get a profession. I did it because I really just wanted to do it. I loved it. Uh, I I wanted to organize an event because like I love game. I wanted to organize a tournament for some game or yes. whatever. And uh, and I think that's like kind of important because like even if it doesn't, like you gotta enjoy the journey. In, in other words, like enjoy the like do it because you want to do it don't do it because like there's an end goal in mind because like that's very likely gonna end up in a disappointment and also like you might not enjoy the ride so yes no this is i mean this is great advice in my experience for everything you want to do in life uh as a general rule like if you want to find your ways to enjoy what you're doing i think trying to get into the game industry just because you want some kind of end goal is is usually a mistake you've got to really be passionate about it uh and love what you're doing um, I yeah. think it's great. And 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 then your advice is start small, right? Just start with a local, something at your local game store, local convention, just starting to build things. If it's online communities and, and you know, starting to contribute in online communities, right? So you, you mentioned Soulforge Fusion. So we have a online Discord channel where people can chat and communicate. And those that were most helpful and answering questions and participating, we as our company now elevated them to forge guardians and gave them a bunch of status and cool updates and things, you know, and so mm. it just sort of happened organically for these people and we saw them engaging. And so we said, Hey, we, I want to find a way to reward them. And they didn't do it because they thought they were going to get something out of it. They did it because they were passionate members of the community. And I think that that is always been the, the recipe for every aspect of, of what you're doing here. So I think it's great. Yeah. Um, and this certainly has happened like at, at Supercell as well, that there are like that we actually have employed some people who have been like very active in the community. And there are like there are people also like lots of people, of course, who are like kind of ha- happy to be in the community and, and like kind of be active there. They are might be moderators in our Reddit pages or they might be moderators in Discord. They might be Twitch streamers uh, or YouTubers whatever like there's there's a lot of uh a lot of like options yeah 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 so 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 finding doing a thing you're passionate about finding an area there's so many different ways to contribute now you know whether it's and you just mentioned a bunch of them um and so finding the things where your kind of combination of your skill set your interests and your passion and something that's going to be valuable to the world is is can all overlap and that's a great 
it's just a great way to think about uh, pursuing a career of any kind, just doing doing things you're passionate about and adding value to the world. Um, great. And it's also good to know that like it's it's not necessarily like kind of the, the you might even be happier just like being on that level where you're like organizing stuff and being in the community and being a passionate player rather than being someone like on the other side being like in the industry so like that's that, that's a that's that was a place where that i had to like kind of contemplate a lot then like eventually that like what what would it actually be to like kind of work in the game industry rather than just have it as a hobby sure so like, yeah so so uh I then con- continued so i was like yeah I, th- I think i was like 10 years or something like very active with or maybe uh with the with the board game society stuff organized the game club organized events uh etc and and uh meanwhile i actually studied finance so i didn't like study anything related to games i studied finance and i ended up working in accounting and finance reporting and stuff like that so i actually worked like i think i worked eight years on in the finance industry uh with with like with a lot of uh yeah with like finance reporting accounting uh topics like that uh i think it was like it was interesting but i definitely wasn't passionate about it and i have a i have a like a story of this like particular moment when i when i felt that like i want to actually pursue the game industry uh i don't know if it's if it's yeah no i'm i you've got my attention i'm hooked let's go tell me the story yeah so it was it was uh it was a party so there was uh there was party like when you work work in places there are parties every now and then so it was one party and we were at the after party and it was i think it was like 2 a.m and we were at a club and uh, i saw two uh, like one of my colleagues and then one representative of one of one of the banks who were like ho- uh, hosting the the party that they were discussing about foreign trade they were sitting at the couch at 2 a.m a little bit tipsy and they were passionately talking about foreign trade and i was like hey dude so what the heck like that's like we're partying here that like why why are you talking about foreign trade and uh but then it dawned on me that they they weren't they were talking about foreign trade because they were so passionate about it they were like Mm. they really loved their craft and they wanted to improve their craft and they wanted to talk about it. And then I realized that, like, I wanna, I wanna work with something that, like, I want to, like, at two a.m. be talking about that topic. And uh, mm. it was very clear that that's games for me. Like, that would be games for me. So that was like <laughs> this one particular moment when, uh, even if it had been like kind of brewing, brewing in my mind for a long time, but th- that particular moment, I, I remember that, like, this thought crossed me and this particular example that like that i want to be at a party at 2 a.m and i want to be talking about my profession (laughs) and it has happened uh, multiple times after that and i've always been happy to talk about game design at 2 a.m and the 2 a.m party principle i like it i like it a lot that's a great story um 
Yeah. Okay. So now we've 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 you've, so you've then, had so the party then, moment. Uh, then what happened? <laughs> now what? So now I have like now I'm like okay. Yeah. Now I'm like okay. I want to work at the game industry. What do I do next? Okay. So it was like a actually a two year like uh, a two year process. Like I, I I started thinking that like okay, how would it actually be to work in the game industry? Was like first like do I actually want this? Will will it kill my passion for games if I if I uh, make it into a profession and uh, and then also like okay how, how do i go about this so well because now now we get back to the like how why it was good to like be active in the community i of course knew a couple of people who work in the game industry at that point because i had been active because they there were like lot, several board gamers in the uh in the industry so so i contacted them and i was asking uh, asking for like a hey let's have coffee let's have a chat like about this topic and all that and and uh, they recommended me uh, to this one thing that is like also like a very uh, big thing in Finland which is this IGDA uh, meetups International Game Developers Association I'm not sure in how international they are I think they're at least in Europe but I think maybe in US as well but so IGDA, International Game Developer Association, they have like monthly meetups uh, here in Helsinki. And so uh, I was recommended that, hey, like join one of those and go go check it out. And you can like meet people who work in the industry. And, and so I did. And so I got to learn like and get to know like more people uh, who work. And I actually like ended up meeting more people there that, who were like, oh, you're in the game industry as well. And who, have, who I kind of knew from. From like uh, from the board game scene and all that, so that Great. that helped me get again like more to know people, etc. And then then what what ultimately uh, then helped me was like one of my colleagues, rec- uh, yeah, one one of my colleagues showed that hey, there's this like there's this like focus test group uh, happening for a game company that she that maybe i would be interested in that kind of stuff because i I was like vocal about being a gamer at work and stuff like that so so i ended up going there and it was this company called digital chocolate um, that they made mobile games and uh they their head office was in san mateo but one of the dev studios was in helsinki Uh, the helsinki studio was originally called sumea and it was founded by uh a couple of the same people who also ended up founding Supercell later, and so, so Digital Chocolate was looking for some focus uh, focus testers, and I joined. And then, as a happy accident, I went there, and the guy who was the lead game designer for that game was my friend from the board yeah. game scene. And uh, so, <laughs> so we of course I tested, I did did the thing, and then I stayed. Uh, and chatted with him more after the session and uh and i offered them that hey like i could i could do more of this kind of testing if they would be interested you know that i could like if they have some other other like alpha builds like i would be happy to test and give some feedback on them and and then that kind of like uh led to then me me getting like the foot between the door and and their like design director becoming like a bit interested in me and i was doing a couple of like alpha tests for them and then eventually like we had a discussion with him 
and and like he actually straight on said that like he's not actually that interested in my like test reports he's more interested in like having a very potential like game designer like kind of clo- close by and that was of course made me quite quite happy and uh and i think it was like one year later after that that i then landed a, a job as a junior game designer uh right. at digital chocolate then so yeah, no, it's, it's so this is just a, it's a wonderful story because it, it, you know, it's this is, you know, in, in some sense, a decade of of progress and at least two years yeah. of from of, of focused energy towards this building relationships, trying, you know, do, doing these things, starting to get involved in the communities that are that are there and then eventually getting to turn that and an opportunity to demonstrate your skill and then get the job. So it's a it's a it's just a great kind of a classic narrative of, of how you do these sorts of things. Uh, and so, um, it's yeah. great to, great to get to share it. Um, and, uh, I, I, so this, so digital chocolate now, it's pretty obvious how that leads to supercells and it's the same founders bring over there. Um, I want to, I want to paint the picture a little yep. bit of supercell because I think most people okay. have probably heard of supercell and heard of some of the games, you know, clash of clans yeah. and clash Royale, which you worked on. The numbers are so staggering that I remember the, what, what what struck me is we were having this conversation at the event and you were talking about a project that you'd worked on and I don't remember the details of it or what I've uh, even allowed to share, but it was basically the gist of it was we made this project. It was pretty good. It was going to make tens of millions of dollars a year and it was not worth our time to finish it, that we handed it off because the the scale of the games that you make, if it's not going to make hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars, you're not even interested. Like that blew my mind. So maybe you can flesh out a little bit here so people understand before we start digging into the design principles and things that work here, like how, oh, yeah. what, what, what this is like. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I have to think of that. Like what, what kind of numbers can I actually like publicly talk about? Uh, of course, there are, there are like, there are numbers that are public about our, our success and about the game. So, uh, yeah, like uh, I'll I'll share ones. I mean, there's I, things I, I found on on Wikipedia, yeah. right? So of okay. the things I know, okay. it's like, I believe Clash of Clans yeah. is but, the is the game that has made the most money of any game uh, on uh, on the on mobile. I was I was I, I read a note about that that your uh, the Clash Royale, which you had worked on, which is sort of the card game variation of it, had made yeah. something like uh, two point five billion dollars over three years. Uh, was the last note that I had seen, and that was even as of 2019. So who knows where it's been yeah. since then? Um, so, so those are just just a couple of numbers that kind of just like, and 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 pieces of data that kind of blew my mind. Um, uh, and yeah, I'm we, sure there's more, but yeah. just to give a sense of stuff, I know you can share because okay. it's already yeah. public. Those are those are certainly yeah ballpark numbers. So like kind of we're talking about like we're in the like billions of annual revenue. Uh, or like half a billion of annual revenue or stuff and, like that. And, and this then is also all like coming play, from player. free free to play mobile games exclusively. Yeah. 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 And okay. then there's uh the, the player counts are also like quite high. I think we've talked about those there's been like uh what be like I, I I we've had like kind of the We've been on like 30 million DAU. We've had at some point, we had like 100 million DAU across all our games. Uh, so like 100 million players in one day played like our like four of our games. Like, 
uh, logged uh, in. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's quite a lot. The numbers, the numbers are I, I think are so staggering. I think those, like, it's, kind of, it's hard to wrap my head around it. Like talking about like hu huge games, of course, like I know on the PC, for example, League of Legends is known to be like huge game. Uh, I think uh, I, I might I can't remember exactly, but they they have also like reached something like thirty million DAU, for example. So in one day, thirty million players right. playing. I think. Uh, but uh, and you, and, yeah, and, those and are you're, like you're massive, at 100, massive, at 100 massive million. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's insanity. But it's so, also, of okay, course, so... for all against. But still, yeah, those, those are like kind of yeah. And we've had like in in stores when Crash, Clash Royale la launched. Uh, I think this is like somewhat public information. <laughs> but like when Clash Royale launched, uh, like it was in uh, within a week, we had thirty million installs, for example. Okay. Uh, which all right like, so i think we've done enough enough yeah. of this 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 context so we, we so are hopefully pretty big scales we're big, you're kind of scales. kind of a big deal so i want to just set the stage here because i want to spend a fair amount of time it's like i i want to level up my own thinking here right i can't even conceive of making games with that scale of an audience and uh and i'd like to by the end of this conversation uh have my mind uh opened up to it so so let's maybe walk me through what does it look like when they're trying to either and i want to attack this from any angle so you can pick wherever you want right starting starting a project like this scaling a project like this marketing a project like this testing it, like what does it take how do you build especially with this you know obviously in the context of free to play mobile uh how do you start thinking about building projects at that scale yeah that's uh <laughs> that's a big i know big it's question. meaty it's meaty so uh, pick any piece of it you'd like and so <clears throat> so uh let's let's start from like kind of the the company culture and the, the kind of the, the fundamental thoughts on like how we how we want to make games at Supercell, which has been kind of uh, not copied, but people, lots of companies are kind of replicating it and like kind of taking, being inspired by the, the way Supercell operates. So we uh, like, our, our, we have some like really strong values that include trust, uh independence and responsibility and so like we are like the, the name supercell comes from the teams being these cells that are uh consist of like high performing great uh individuals that make a a, a really great team and uh and who who are able to like kind of very independently do like the right decision so we we have like like every game team has basically like full trust and full response full like independence to like do whatever they want but the caveat is that like we are making hit games so like you really need to like be thinking like how do you make a billion dollar game and not just like oh i just want to like make something funny as a hobby like you you but the but the point right, is you're not that, making like, euro the, the, you're not the, making puerto rico right now you're you're not making euro yeah, games yeah. you need something that's going to really have huge ridiculous yeah. mass appeal so for example like i i would i would love to make like a board game version of uh, some of our games but it doesn't make any sense for me to like spend the time of that even if i would love that i could maybe do that on my free time but 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 the, the point is point is that like kind of the, the idea is that like 
who knows best like what works in a game like it's the game developers it's not the leadership it's not uh it's not some external consultant it's the ones who actually make the game who understand the game they are making as well and everything that like kind of can make the decisions so like and and there's also like it's very important that the that the uh, like with with the independence like i think it's like it's a very important value in that like you feel ownership of what you do so like if this if the idea kind of comes or if if it's like micromanaged from above then you don't feel ownership and you slowly and gradually like stop caring basically about what you do and you're like okay whatever like i'll just do what i'm told to do and uh and i don't care so like you really want to like uh i feel like i'm not like perfectly selling selling this or like kind of explaining this but the but one, one thing is that like the the kind of the the whole trust and responsibility like usually it's uh it's kind of like uh just words on a on a powerpoint right that's exactly where i was gonna that's exactly where i was gonna dig in next is because that what is the difference everybody says those things what is the difference how do you live it how does that how does that scale in reality yeah and uh that that would be like a might be a better question for for our ceo but like basically like we certainly like we certainly live it and we certainly like it it's really true and and it has led to like some really difficult situations and difficult uh, decisions also sometimes when you like you because when you are responsible for example when you kill a game like that's really tricky i've been like it's really tough like you are not being told that you need to kill the game you need to do that decision yourself and you need to can you have walk me through what that, that level looks like like what that kind you have of a, to have even that a high... level yeah yeah you know, I, i've been i've been in that situation once uh but um uh, so far i've been uh yeah actually as a background i've been uh 10 and a half years at at supercell so i've been uh been a while when i joined the success was already there but it wasn't like publicly known yet so it was kind of like at the at the early days of the kind of the success but heyday and clash of clans were like out there already so so i've i've seen i've seen uh some ups and downs in the company but uh yeah so a killing killing game basically hmm, i mean the game can be killed in various phases of course like you could kill it like you're developing the game uh you might end up like killing it at that point like you feel that okay this doesn't have what it takes this doesn't like this doesn't click enough this doesn't like make sense or this maybe this doesn't feel scalable enough or or whatever the reason is uh that might be a situation to to kill it and th- at that point like you have to like like you the developers of the game who are working on the game have to identify that like no like uh, you can hear feedback and you can like listen to feedback but no one is going to like you have to make the decision so all right so i i i just i'm fascinated by this and i i want to i want to really unpack it because so this idea 
if you're when if you have a how does a game originates there's a team the teams these sort of super cells of groups are already defined or you kind of come together and say hey we want to make a game like let's start from the germination period and then we can kind of yeah maybe walk through the checkpoints I feel like I'm, I'm trying to like kind of figure out like how to like explain all this because this it's such a like a huge uh, amount of different different like kind of topics. That's here, okay. But, we like, got we got. This is uh, why it's a long form podcast. We have all the time in the world, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot. And you know, it's I don't expect if it was easy to unpack a multi billion dollar a year yeah. process, then everybody would do it. So so it's okay. Yeah. We're gonna take our time. So so let's so we uh, know that we have these core principles: trust, independence, and responsibility. We know that the individual yeah. small scale teams have ultimate authority here. And now the question is, how did that? Let's start with just like kind of how those teams get formed and how the authority plays out. Ideally, we'll come up with some specific examples or you can create some hypotheticals if you can't talk about the specifics of like where, how this team is functioning and integrating and, and making these key decisions. Yeah, okay. So uh, teams are usually formed quite organically, but this is like this process of like how is a new game started that has evolved quite a lot and changed quite a lot along the years so i I think there's been like five different uh processes or non-processes that have for forming these like sometimes we had a more rigorous thing and uh, then we scrapped that because like it felt like the more rules you added the 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 clunkier and, and problematic it got so but usually i would say that it's it's very organic so you might have uh, right now we have a, like a there's a prototype team. There's a they are working on like a couple of different. They're, they're working on different prototypes there and brainstorming different stuff and and trying out, trying to just make make something that's playable and see if it clicks and and then take it further. And basically that kind of phase, the phase where you're doing a prototype, that is usually just like two or three people. Like that's it. Like you're just like testing this like core gameplay core uh interaction uh or, or that's happening and uh then if it's if it like if it clicks if it really feels that hey this, there's something to this then this is like this would be a phase when like forming like an actual team then this would be a decision when like uh the leadership would be a, a, a bit involved that like hey okay like now we have this this concept is looking really cool and we have these people that we have like like there are there's a bunch of people from these different disciplines that would be like and really uh really excited to start working on this game for real and uh and that's kind of like a, a soft green light moment in a way that like that okay like hey let's let, okay let's let's start working like you guys can go like agree with your current leads, make sure that the transitions work out, you know, all that. So like very organic, in other words, like th- things happen very organically. Uh, but you have to like, of course, be again, here's again, trust and responsibility comes down here. So like, like even if I would, there would be like a project that feels like super fun and like, oh, that's cool. Like I want to go there and work and they want me to join them. Like I can't just leave my current team. I can't just like dump them. That would be like very in- irresponsible for me uh from me so like i have to like then discuss with my lead that hey by the way there would be this opportunity and i would be really interested about this and let's figure out this transition let's hire someone else or like i have this other guy this other team who could maybe replace me and so forth so like 
All right. This so let me let me just make yeah. sure I'm getting this uh, I'm getting this right. Yeah. So what I what I heard was you start there's a some some people are assigned to this sort of prototype prototype team, which are small little groups that can kind of organically just try stuff, just iterate, try things, see yeah. if they get something excited. Then they there's some window where they I mean they're obviously showing these prototypes off to other people in the company. They yeah. get enough people excited from different disciplines because they're showing it to people around. Is there some kind of formal system for this or it's just sort of organically like, hey, come take a look at this and you just have people show up? Uh, I'd say it's very organic. Like, okay. it's it's quite common so, that there's event at, at some point there's like some kind of com uh, what we call company playable. So like it's just opened up to the whole company and anybody can play and... Uh, and and okay, then you kind of like yeah so that that's that's and, pretty common but yeah. okay so there's a thing that's available to play eventually you get enough positive feedback and enough people like hey this is cool i would totally work on this or you got enough of a critical mass that now you go to the leadership and say hey i think this is ready to go i'd like to move it forward as one of these prototypers that now you want to build a team and go is that is it like you approach it or is there a regular review or how does that go from leadership <laughs> saying yeah we're gonna we're gonna pull the trigger here yeah, so what the leadership would be looking at uh, there mostly is the team. Like, is this a team that they would like? Do they believe that this team can deliver? Oh, okay. And so they we, don't even, they're mean, not even really evaluating the game at all. You're not pitching the game not, or anything. You're just saying, hey, this group much. of people. Okay. This group of people yeah, all believe much, in something. But, let's go. Yeah. Like uh, okay. probably at that point, like there's there's some level of validation already for the the game itself in a way that they, that uh, like all that's already some validation that people got excited about it and all that. So yeah, so like, uh, but it's really these, interesting these, these, parallel there. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, continue. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but then like kind of like at this point th things are still like very very organic. Then then things get a little bit more formal when you go to like what we sometimes call phase two so we we have this we, we talk about phases but like it's 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 also a bit fluffy but like we talk about phase zero as this phase where you are making the prototype and then phase one when you are like kind of like a little bit above that and we're kind of now in phase one right like we're we're making a little bit more than a prototype we are like adding art and we're like we are like kind of maybe defining the meta game the progress game around that like minute to minute gameplay and and uh and then then we go to like phase two and phase two is like a bit more formal because that's now like okay now you're heading for like some kind of beta or some kind of soft launch now we kind of like start actually putting like like the core concept is really solid now and and we believe in it and uh now we need like more manpower to like actually get this like going now here's like an important thing that like uh, like that ideally at this point like you would have like you would be at a pretty good phase with the core of the game and this doesn't always work uh but like it's really because when you start scaling up the team it gets really tricky to like change the course of the project so before this you had maybe like five people there in the team at that point it's like very easy to still like change completely the course of the project that like okay like hey let's do like let's maybe change the theme completely or let's change like kind of the 
what it's actually about. Maybe it's not a action game, maybe it's a card game or whatever. So like, you can still like do that kind of change. But then when you start to scale to like 10 or 10 to 20 people, then it gets uh, immediately like a lot harder. And also like you start to like involve maybe like other uh, other uh, teams, like the marketing team, for example, to planning planning the launch of the game or or stuff like that. So now, now you kind of like ideally have a pretty solid core. So now you're in phase two and you're starting to work towards like an actual launch to put it out there to 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 the real real audience. Okay, so up to this point, you've not you've not put anything out to anybody outside the company. This is only internal. Usually not so like, far. Usually not. No. Uh, Okay. I think in the early days we we did we did there was a little bit more of that but like the there's also this thing of like we we have some weird problems because of the success so like we really have to be careful like when we show things to the public because it's mm-hmm. like a pretty big deal usually yeah uh, and so so that's kind of like you're kind of like a little bit careful with that sometimes maybe a bit too careful yeah one of the challenges of being so one of the challenges of being a big successful company is you uh you have a lot more to lose so you have to be more careful a little bit than than the newer smaller designers or design teams okay so what you know phase zero to phase one there's a leadership moment that they say okay enough people believe in this we're gonna we're gonna let you go forward with now you've doubled the time the size of the team now how do you move from phase one to phase two where now you're talking about quadrupling the size of the team and adding in a bunch of different departments what what makes something go from phase one to phase two uh so so well at this point like we there, there's probably at this point been like certainly like a company playable and we might even have been looking at like some really like we have we have a uh, i think we are like 400 right now that's also something like we are a pretty small company actually like per uh, person wise considering the the scale of our our business like but it's still uh it's still enough that we actually can get like quite a quite a nice testing it's quite a nice testing environment for like for our games for sure so we get to like internally test sometimes even a little bit extend to like friends and family uh depending and then uh so at this point like we get we do get some validation of like hey does this like concept work right so like that that kind of gives the confidence then like the 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 moment and, and and an important factor here is also like the momentum in the team like does the team believe it like there's been projects where like people have been like excited they're like hey this was like super cool like playable like we're happy like like you should do you should do this but the team actually ends up not believing in the project anymore they are like okay like that they see maybe the problems that like the players in like the other people in the company don't see. So that's also like an important place where like the the kind of the where like kind of the trust and responsibility comes in and the independence that like the team is really they know the game best. Like they understand the the problems, they understand the opportunities. And the issues they might be facing. So, like, if they feel that hey, don't know, there's something like really fundamental that this won't work out, or we don't really have the momentum or the motivation to do these big changes that are like required. Uh, that may, or maybe they even went that route. Then that route that like hey, you know, like do this game, except like maybe you should 
change this one aspect, but maybe they already tried that and and figured that it was wrong and so forth. So, so they might yeah. be like, uh, and 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 the, and so so the team. Yeah, this gets back to the idea we we're talking about earlier when the team has to choose to kill a project. Yeah. And so this and might be a pretty easy well. and. Yeah, yeah, and I love. I mean, I love that this is you know the 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 principles here. Like you start very small, prototype rapidly, don't spend a lot of resources, slowly build like momentum and get you know get traction. Then work on building the other parts, adding resources, art, building the meta game, building other pieces, then scaling up from yeah. there. Like it's a it's a. I mean, this is a, just a great great process as you get more confidence, you add more resources and For spend sure. more time polishing, and and then you have these opportunities to kick out but it seems like now since you're getting teams to 10 20 people then it now the the cost of failure is higher the cost of closing it out is higher and presumably it's just going to keep going up so now what 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 got us to the point i'm still not sure i'm clear like what moved us from phase one to phase two and then uh and then how do you who amongst this now 10 or 20 you know four to five people can all kind of agree probably to say yeah we're going to stop 10 20 people starts to become harder to agree on anything yeah, that's that's usually when the when the team grows. Then when we go to phase two, like there usually still is this like uh, like core team in a way. There is this core group. Usually it's the ones who started, but sometimes sometimes there's maybe a new member uh, who who kind of joins that group in a way. Uh, I've been in that position <laughs> as well, where I like I join a team that was already established. But they were kind of, or or maybe some core member, some vision holder, uh, like switched to another project, and then I step in and I kind of become one of the vision holders for that project from there on forwards. So now uh, the point is that like there's like even if you would have a twenty member team, you still might have like four or five members who are like the actual like kind of right. Okay. That makes sense. And then, and so does that core decision maker team, is they the ones that they get to decide on their own whether you go from phase one to phase two also? They can obviously choose to kill the game or change direction. Are they, do they just get to say, hey, we're ready, pour on the extra resources leadership, or does leadership get involved with jumping to that yeah, next? There tier? is no like, there is no hierarchical like power that this uh, group of four or five people would have, uh, like under like an, an, an organizational power. It's, it's more like, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of weird because it's it's almost like a silent contract in a way that like like an organic thing that like you know who are who are like in this group and and you you do of course like you uh, talk about it as well that like hey like we we are like kind of the vision holders etc. Sure. Like, yeah, I, lo- like- I love I love I I I mean I I mean I, I can I could dig into this forever and yeah maybe I do yeah. also want to speak to the CEO because like building this is all kind of cultural norms like not hierarchical not explicitly rule based cultural norms that are building yeah. these things at scale that is so rare and so hard to achieve i'm just i'm i'm absolutely fascinated by it um so so you've got these i don't know if this maybe is something of like like finnish culture here that's a, it's it's hard for me to imagine some of this in the, in the us yeah it's uh, it's, but, it's it's not really finnish either like it's it's because it's it's quite uncommon like also in finland that it's actually like really hard to like explain uh because a, I've now lived in that environment now for like more than ten years, uh, so it's like it's just like normal to me in a way. But also, uh, also like I realized that it's it's not common to other people, so it's like kind of hard to like explain. I, we've had a lot oh. of people who start in our company, like they uh, 
it takes a while before they then like realize and that they might come and say that like okay like now i get it now i now i understand it like i thought it was kind of like just a little bit just talk i didn't like believe that it was like actually like this that they would we would actually be independent but now i get it and uh and it's yeah it's it's a bit hard to explain in a way like well it's all right i'm gonna you know this is this is something for me i think about a lot as i scale my own company right when it's you know if you're the whole company is you know we're what 12 or 13 people now with some various extra um consultants and people outside of it and it's still at that stage where you know you can kind of talk to everybody and know everybody and you know kind of build but as you scale to you know dozens and that let alone hundreds you really need this kind of you know cell-based systems and abilities to have trust and and make sure that the culture continues and i i I put a lot of effort into building company culture and and so i always look for successful rules like this successful companies and that 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 has certainly been a big challenge and and those have been like testing points the 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 whole of like growing the company and all that like it's been a testing point for the for the culture and 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 there's been like there's been lots of internal resistance to like growing the company for sure and uh, and we've grown uh, deliberately grown like very very slowly like uh, most of the people who especially like the leadership and stuff they have experience of companies where the companies like grew too fast uh, one one Finnish uh, super company that kind of fell because of that was Nokia uh, the the infamous infamous nokia who who was like they were of course like the biggest like uh phone makers in the world at some point uh from from the small country of finland but they hired like everybody Uh, a lot of people who are work at supercell now and work in the game industry they used to work at nokia like they 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 hired like anybody who almost like walked through the door and they had like they had a lot of middle management and uh, a lot of hierarchy and a lot of people who didn't really actually have like any any jobs and it was like it was like really really tricky and it kind of like imploded the whole thing so they hired and they grew too fast the, the culture didn't like catch up so it's been like a thing of like really super careful about how fast we grow and also like who we hire so i think that has been like a key thing to like uh that that we have like grown very modestly and also like been very diligent with the recruiting the recruiting process is is uh, has has always been like quite uh, quite long and like lots of people from different disciplines like interview etc and uh yeah and yeah, so, this is similar to what I hear from uh, from Valve. Valve's process is very similar. Where and, and and you know you need to in order to have a system that allows for a lot of freedom and individual responsibility, you have to have very hefty gatekeeping up front that you get the right people that can support that kind of life and that kind of culture. And, and, yeah, and and to be fair, like kind of like I I think you should not like, like this is this environment is not great for everybody. Like it's it's not like. It's very easy to be the kind of person that wouldn't actually like enjoy working in this environment because it can be like sometimes it's like really frustrating when you don't you kind of don't know exactly what you should be doing you need to like figure it out yourself and so so because i i and and i think it's it's not like a, a 
it's it doesn't make you a bad person it doesn't make you a bad person if you if you're not like uh if you yeah if you, if you don't want to work it's it's almost like an entrep like are you an uh an entrepreneur sorry sorry like my pronunciation yeah you're a little entrepreneur like within an, your own company yeah yeah are you like an entrepreneur sense. or are you like a, a an employee like that that kind of difference that like it's it's not explicitly wrong if you don't want to found your own company it's not explicitly wrong if you want to be an employee and want to get a paycheck and want to kind of have very clear goals and want to know what you should do and and all that like that's that's completely fair and so like it's not an environment for everybody so so i i think there's kind of like even if you would get rejected it doesn't necessarily mean that you are bad at what you do or you're a bad person or you're like incompetent it might also just mean that like it, you might not be you might feel that you're not the right person for this environment yeah that makes perfect sense um okay i i've i've there's so yeah. many things i want to cover so i want to get through the this this phase process i we're never you know but uh so so we have the 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 transition from phase one to phase two there's not a leadership process it's just again you just recruit more people to move there and that's what gets you to phase two is that correct I'm still not 100% clear on how that happens. Yeah, to be honest, neither am I because this this kind of changes and it's every project every project is a little bit different always like an every story is a little bit different but like basically you start scaling but you, you could you could sum it up as like you do scale it up like gradually as the confidence grows so okay. as as that you summed it up like earlier sense. so like Okay. So then, so then we go, then, then what's next? What's next after phase two? I assume phase three, but maybe you can surprise me here. Yeah, so fa phase three is basically like we are live. Uh, so, so phase two can usually last qu quite a lot of time. And, and, and unfortunately that has started to like last uh, quite a lot of time uh, lately for games. So we are like in the in the early days like games like heyday and clash of clans for example the first first big hits that were launched i i think it was like six months or something or was it even less when from like uh, from starting them to like launching them but now now we are like talking years and uh and that's not like that's something that we are a bit struggling with and we're like talking about it a lot and and trying to like figure out how can we make things work how can we validate these games like faster because that this is now like a, an issue of this that we are very afraid of showing our games to the public because like we don't want to show anything like half baked we want it to be like very ready and but that means that it takes a lot more time and uh and, and so yeah, so again, like the, the pr basic principle in a way of, of game development, like validate your game, validate your project like as fast as possible, like validate every phase of your project as fast as possible. And and, and we become like a little bit uh, slow on that. But and and flush, out, flush out validate, flush out validate for me here, because I think I, yeah, it's, so, it's, it's so validate, really important. Validate would be that like, okay, is this, well, I guess you could sum it up like is this game worth uh, pursuing is this game gonna be the kind of hit that we're looking for uh, but also when you validate uh, individual things like if we go to the game design level you validate for example a feature or you validate the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay uh, 
there's like, okay, are we in the right direction? Is there something fundamental that we should be looking at to like change or tweak uh, before this is ready? So, yeah. So I understand. I understand that the so when I'm you know I play test a game, I get feedback directly. I could say, yep, yep, this is good. This isn't. I take that feedback. I parse it out. But is that is that all we're talking about here? Is there something else when you know you're validating? entire at, at economic some, systems you're building a whole different setup how, how are you doing that without showing it to the public and getting feedback from real test audiences yeah it's kind of both it's kind of both because the thing is that like now if we are very afraid of publishing the game of showing this game to the public and putting it out there then what happens is we we want to build all of that before we do that right like we have to like we need to make sure that it has like a really great like progress game, a really good meta game where you're like how you progress in the game. We need to make sure that the balance is great there. We need to sh- make sure, of course, that the moment to moment gameplay is fantastic. We need to make sure that we have all these things like Supercell ID or other APKs and, and stuff like that, like covered servers need to be perfect. We need to be able to scale to those millions of players. Uh, and we need to have content for like, a bunch of months and we need to have a plan for how do we live operate the game etc so all these all of these take a lot of time to build and to plan and but then it might be that actually there's like something wrong already with the moment to moment gameplay so something that we now actually like quite recently did for the first time uh which which was kind of cool that the game that I'm working on uh that we at the moment, which is called Squad Busters. I'm one of the game designers now there in that game. We, we had a, had a, like a limited time closed beta. And so with, what that meant is we invited, uh, or, or like actually like, yeah, we invited a bunch of people, and but we limited the, the, the player amounts to, well, it, it was 5,000, like the first <laughs> closed beta. So I guess that's like quite a lot of players, but that's like very, very little for us. So that was like a super small, small test uh, from our point of view, uh, hmm. and uh, and and we had it running only for seven days. So we didn't have like we we didn't have content. We only had content, relevant content for like three days of gameplay, and uh, so that that allowed us then to like that. Hey, we don't have to have like everything polished and. And all that, so we can validate this a bit earlier. And we got a lot of good feedback then. Like we really only focused on like testing the moment-to-moment gameplay, that really the core gameplay of the game. And we got lots of valuable feedback from the players. Uh, of course, we, well, we can later talk about like player feedback and how to like kind of how how to analyze that and how to react to that. But like then we, we kind of we listened to the players. We made some pretty big changes but now because we were able to like close the game and and just like work in peace we were able to like really uh really do like a lot of changes fast like it's a bit different to working in a live environment when you have to like constantly care about the players who are like already playing there that takes also some some effort and focus right yeah live operations a whole other subject that we'll we maybe get into if we have time and so then we were able to like have a have a have another uh, limited time beta like pretty soon after that, and that that kind of like that then like uh, was really successful. We had made some really good changes, and that was like a very a pretty successful like uh, beta. 
be that then oh. like in, in the sense of like player sentiment and stuff and they were like super happy with the changes that we did so excited great well I, I that's a that's great so so it's actually really nice to hear now you're actually still evolving your process and absolutely you know being able to kind of counter counteract yeah it's, it's so so now now it's kind of now that's for example discussed now especially the new games and games that are in this what i call like phase phase two so like moving towards this launch uh, like they are now talking a lot about like maybe they should also do these like limited limited betas and, and, and stuff like that. maybe that would make sense sort of like all right. So, so I want to, I want to, uh, you know, I don't know how much you know about kind of what the, the marketing and launch process looks like for, for games like this, or if you can speak to it, but I, I'm interested in that. And I also want to, I want to unpack for people because this is a principle I, I actually learned and I talked about in my podcast episode with Peter Atkinson. Um, but I want to flesh it out yep. here because your numbers are even bigger than the ones I talked about with him. Um, if I, you have a game and it's people love it and you're confident that you could make tens of millions of dollars a year with it or even maybe a hundred million dollars a year with it and you as a designer have to decide to kill that game most people listening are going to think that that's crazy can you explain why it's not crazy and why how you think about that or how the company thinks about it uh <laughs> yeah be, be, or or does it or do you agree do you think it's crazy it is crazy <laughs> It, it is quite crazy and it is not like it is not easy it is it's far from it and it's very like uh emotionally very taxing <clears throat> to do that but i i i still uh so i, I yeah i've been in that position once and uh and it was like yeah it was, it's very taxing but i think ultimately i'm happy that we made the decision rather than like that we would have been told no you you can't like this like stop stop working like go go and do something else that's like interesting so there is so 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 there's something going on behind the scenes here that uh, there's a yeah you're responsible we trust you to make the right decision but if you don't make the right decision we're going to make the right decision for you what's <laughs> what no, i just no, heard no 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 that's not what i mean i i mean that like kind of it's it's good that like uh i think part of the the reason that culture work like this is this is one of those like hard things that the culture brings with it but when you make that decision yourself you it's easier for you to not get bitter about it you know like that you had to, you had to go I through see. that I thought see. process you had to make that like conclusion yourself that no this is not gonna be like yeah. because ultimately like you have you do have that one kind of or what they say, like in a way, green, like, like this needs to be a hit game. So, like, the, you have to like ask yourself then, like, kind of, like, will this be that hit game? And eventually, you'll get numbers, so you have like you can make a way more educated, more educated guess uh, based on like kind of science and the data as well. But it's still always like a judgment. What, what can you unpack? Can you unpack that that a little bit? What does that mean? Because you're not actually playing it live at this point so what are these numbers in science no no data? at this uh, no I, i'm actually talking about the situation where you're you are playing it live like when 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 the game is already like out there and you are like kind of you're seeing numbers but you're it's still like kind of a limited amount of people but like, uh, uh, i see uh, like a limited amount of countries let's say like a test market yeah, okay like got it market. so so you'll launch a game and then and again it's just worth unpacking because a lot of people won't be familiar yeah. with this so so the typical process when you move from phase two to phase three is you're going to pick some small markets 
to try to launch and do a smaller scale launch. Yeah, that's just that's a typical yeah, that's a typical very typical thing like in 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 uh, like the mobile space especially that like you you do some test markets. Uh, uh, it varies really. Like there are some like kind of classic proxy markets, uh, but that it changes a little bit. So you might be ch- trying Philippines to like test out the Asian market. You might be testing in Canada to test out like the North America, the US market, but uh, or the UK uh, to test the, the, but yeah, it varies a little bit, but there, there are like kind of, you test in, like, usually you test in like smaller market, but that's also very, some, some people want to go like straight to the big markets, but like still, you don't go like fully global usually. And uh, then you get data. So you get you get like actual numbers from actual people, like people install the game, like do they retain? And now now here's like maybe something that like what we look at first and foremost is uh, retention, and retention is about like how uh, how many people return to the game in like the consecutive days and like the days that like after the first one. So uh, the retention is like really like a, a kind of an ben, like and there's lots of games then benchmark like our own games, but also like in the industry that you can benchmark then to like okay like how uh, like how sticky is the game, how engaging is the game, and that's kind of like the first and most important uh, thing at evaluating. Usually, usually the monetization is like easier to figure out than the retention like if the retention isn't there like if people are not like engaged with the game then like it doesn't matter what kind of tips or, or what kind of tricks you use on like on monetization side for example like if people love the game they will also like they will be super fast with that pay for the game and, and all that sort of retention is like really the key like the game needs to be like good the game needs to be sticky yeah, and and how do you define what is what's what's good, what's bad, what's 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 stellar? Uh, well, I, I I think I can't unfortunately like share the exact like numbers, but like, uh, but you would be looking at what you would well maybe I can like quote some like kind of in the industry standards in a way that what are used like usually in the in the mobile game industry. And, and what people are saying, so you might be looking, for example, at like uh, day one, day three, and day seven re- retention, and then day 30 retention if you have people playing. And that would mean uh, day one retention would mean that how ma- many percent of the players who installed the game on day zero, like also played on day one. So if you would now install a game, play it, uh, will you play it also tomorrow? And then day three is like, will you play it also in three days, in seven days, or in thirty days, etc. And uh, that number, like, like really, really good games have actually like hover in the like 50, 50 like day one retention. Sometimes some really good games you might have the 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 initial uh, player players who are like the super fast they might be like in the 80 percent or something so like we're not talking about like it's very very like it's not realistic that 100 percent of the players would play the following day or play in seven days or so 
Like we're talking about like a curve yeah. that goes down really fast. Well, uh, but yeah, it's unfortunate that I can't really. Yeah, like, it's a, it's important little little note that I I learned yeah. I learned the no, it's okay. We could talk about just general industry standards, right? And so my understanding is that you're you know you're going day one fifty percent is great, and then I think day day thirty like I think it's something like like seven percent is still really good. I think yeah, the last number of, I saw. I'm yeah, I don't remember what the, yeah. what the and like and if yeah. you if you have a, at day thirty if you have like fifteen percent of the players, so like. At day 30, 85% of your players would have already left and you would have 15% left. That would be still that would be almost considered like super hit numbers. Like so that's that's kind of like Yeah. Yeah. So you give it it's yeah. it's crazy to think about how yeah. much how much those drop-offs are. And that's that's best case. So the, these are these games are, you know, people leave them very quickly. And I think you let you said something really important that actually I didn't realize, I didn't know. When I first we the first time we launched Soulforge as a digital app, we had these insane sure, retention yeah. numbers, just insane, and uh, and it wasn't. And then and then they I realized that exactly what it, the super yeah. fans are the ones that come first, and so they are going to be super super sticky. And then as you try to scale and bring in more users, maybe that yeah. aren't as much directly in that super fan core audience, Absolutely. those numbers are going to drop. Um, and so you have to be very careful about overweighting your early numbers uh, and when yeah, you're when are, you're doing this. Sort of, of course, thing. like the super fans are like super important. They are they are the evangelists of your game. They are very valuable and they are like and uh, they're great. But you have when it comes to like kind of the raw numbers, like you have to you have to kind of like exclude them if you want to see like okay how is it for real like when it comes to like do i want to scale this now or not uh, so so yeah we, we what what the, those are called in the industry they're called the golden cohort like the first cohort yes. of players that who, who come into the game the golden cohort yeah um so so then now i kind of want to uh, I, 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 I really love this walkthrough. I feel like I've got a much clearer picture of how the company makes decisions, how you build things. This retention is the fundamental metric. Um, I, there may not be an answer for this, but I'll, I'll pose the question anyway, right? There's obviously every game, you know, you want the game to be sticky. You want it to be, to be great on its own is, have you learned some kind of more generally applicable kind of tips or tricks or principles that help to make this, you know, kind of give you that instinct of, no, no, this is going to be stickier. This is going to have that retention. This is going to keep people coming back. What is it that's there? And, and you can speak to the designs of the moment to moment game. You can speak to principles for the kind of meta game and the, the progression charts. Like what is it in your mind that really can can be applicable broadly that can move the needle on this kind of game. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good question. Like I I I, I think like every, every game is is its own story and and its own path. So it's like really hard to say. Like certainly like you have to when you are like kind of making the game and when you are doing your play tests uh, within the team or within the company or by yourself like you have to like trust quite a lot your own instinct and like develop your own intuition on that stuff uh and and there's no like i don't think there's like ever like a, a right answer but like if, if you've made games and also like actually like if you've just played games you kind of like you kind of know when it just clicks when it like this just feels right like things just click here now uh so those are the kind of feelings that you are kind of like looking for, that you're like kind of you're you're scanning for. That when does it like, when does it uh, click, and how how do you get that? Like that's really hard to like 
generalize or, 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 or say like any general rules because it really depends on, on the game, the genre, the platform, like anything, like when does it click? But like ultimately, like you can't, you still can't like kind of replace the, like just test and like get that feel because you can you can theorize and you can discuss and you can talk about it like forever but like when you actually actually play it actually try it out that's when you that's when you kind of like get those feelings so yeah yep no that that's that's been a consistent message from every designer and unfortunately it's a it's not the yeah. answer a lot of people want to hear they want do x y and z and then you'll exactly, have a hit game yeah. and everything's going to be fine uh it's just not the way it works but but training your own instincts is really critical here too right you mentioned you know you play games you pay attention to your emotions when they come up and what things you know as you put it click uh as you design games you and you get feedback and you cycle it through you can feel it for yourself um and and it's not easy i i've, I've i continually try to find better ways to to explain this yeah. or to teach this because it's it's it sounds fuzzy to a lot of people, right? No, I just trust your gut, right? It, and it, yeah, it is very it, and it is very fuzzy, and you kind of like has and you have to like maybe eventually like some some someone smarter than us can like conceptualize this and like actually make this into like some theory theory and some like method that like works foolproof method, but like yeah, but it's it, it feels very fuzzy and like and it is this like. I guess like design intuition, you could like call it or something that you just kind of get trained. Well, uh, yeah, over time. And I think I, I, I think like one, one it's like I, I do. I kind of like I try to be very sensitive about this. Also, like just on like micro design level. Like let's say I recently worked on the the kind of the the first three days of the meta progression of of the the game that I work on. And so, so I, I iterate, I changed the numbers and I played it myself. I just played it alone, like over and over again, like the AI. And then I, then I like kind of was like super sensitive about like feelings that, okay, here, like at this moment, like when, when I'm kind of like at day two or something, like I felt that this moment where the progress kind of halted. And then I want to like dig into that. Okay, why did it hold? What, why did my feeling of progress hold at this point? And like, how can I change this? What, what should I change? Let's tweak these numbers here. Let's tweak that. Like, let's put some a little bit more gold there and let's change the character there or something. And then I tried it again from the beginning. And then it was, okay, now that feeling wasn't there. So clearly like what I, what I changed, like made matters. So like trying to be like sensitive about like these kind of things, like also at the very micro level when when designing like that's at least something that I, I i tend to do yeah that's great and then and so this is one of the things i talked a lot about this in the episode with with ben mm. brode when we were you know uh, in his work on on marvel snap and I, I you know you've had a lot of similar experiences clash royale is you know a, a card game in, in many senses some towered uh, you know it's a, it, it certainly is a card game in some sense um and so what is it that uh, when you're trying to test these meta sure. progressions, right? I can test an individual game and have a complete experience in, you know, in this case, minutes, easy to iterate, easy to test. When I'm testing a progression that's supposed to last not just days, but weeks, months, years even of progression, it's nearly impossible. I mean, it's, it is impossible yeah. to test the whole thing, right? So, so you mentioned this 
this, oh, I'm just going to test the first three days yeah. and I'm going to tweak it. I'm going to test the first three days again. Is that how you think about it? It's like, I really just got to dial in those first three days and the rest kind of takes care of itself. Or how do you approach this kind of problem of designing and balancing and getting the feel right for this meta progression of day to day? That's a very good question. And that's that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of constantly learning and trying to like get, get better at uh, because it is indeed like very tricky. So, uh, uh, in this case, like I was working on the first three days because that was the scope of our, our closed beta. So I only had to focus on the first three days. But something that, that is also like very helpful, like when doing that exercise, when I was just focusing on that, I also learned a lot about how the game works, how the meta works, how there's numbers. Okay. Ah, okay, this is how it feels when you get too much gold, or this is how it feels when you get too little gold, or whatever. Like So, so you kind of even if you're like just focusing, I'm not focusing on now on the late game, but it informs me about the late game because like if it feels like this here, it's probably gonna feel like something similar when it happens like at day thirty or something like that. But uh, <clears throat> but mm. ultimately, like you again, like ultimately, you can't replace just testing. But just testing is like really hard in these cases. So so there are like tools you can use or, or methods that you can use so you could have uh, the game running on the side so you might have a version that has like some uh, version of the meta progress while you're like working on the game maybe that's for friends and family this is for example something that they did in marvel snap and this is something we've done uh, uh, a couple of times like at supercell as well that you have like a game running for example for 30 days that it's just like going on and like people can play Mostly they're playing against AIs if it's that kind of game or uh, in, in games like Heyday, you're just like playing the game uh, by yourself, uh, far, farming around. Uh, but then, uh, so so then you get like a feel of this a little bit like longer progression. The, the tricky thing is that like, <laughs> then you notice that something is wrong. Uh, you make changes. So how do you verify that? Well, you have to start from the beginning and that's slow. That's again, like very slow. So it, it's uh, yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, then you can, of course, like the one method is using uh, using bots or using uh, like simulations. That's very effective uh, to like validating validating some like long term progress uh, factors that like you don't have something like completely whack like in the in the uh, in your numbers. But that doesn't the the thing with like bots and simulations is that they don't like really convey you the feeling of like how does it feel how does it feel when i it's day 14 and i wake up in the morning and i have this game that is now like part of my life how does it feel like when i play my first session in the morning when i go to the loo in the morning that's that's a relevant Mm. thing how does it feel when i go to bed when i play my last session when i do what what's what's the thing i do as the last thing before i go to bed so that it feels good that i go to bed so that it doesn't feel like oh i'm obliged to like uh stay awake that i need to like it needs to feel good so like ultimately again it's like it's about like the player experience it's about the feeling that the player has that they need to be it needs to be like kind of good because these games like these games are like tricky because they are like we're making games that are meant the goal is that these are played for years so we have to like they become if you want to if you play them for years they 
become like part of your daily routine. So we have to be respectful of that, right? We have to like understand that this is now like part of your daily routine. Like it can't be like it needs to be gauging, but it can't be like too crazy so that you like burn yourself out or like get stressed because of it or stuff like that. So and that's like really tricky. It's not like something that we do always like perfectly, but it's like something that you have to be very mindful of uh, as a game designer and when balancing these two. Do you have a specific example of a decision that you made to help people sleep better that uh, comes to mind uh, in something along these lines? Yeah, that 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 makes this a little more concrete. Something something very specific could be uh, the chest system in in Clash Royale and the exact timers that the chests have. So so the the chests in uh, chest system in Clash Royale is such that like whenever you when you play a match, if you win, you get a chest and. Uh, to uh, you don't immediately get the cards and the loot that is in the chest, but you have to open it and you you start a timer. So you start the chest. So it might have a timer of three hours or eight hours or twelve hours, and uh, and then you wait and then you get to get to, after that timer is done, you you get to open it. So now. This actually, there's quite a lot of pack, pack, quite a lot of like lessons and dilemmas tied uh, to this, like uh, this chess system. Uh, but something that it does now for the, this thing is that, like, okay, like you, uh, it's late at night, like you want to have a chest opening all the time, right? Like you don't want to like miss out on time because there's you can only have one chest opening at a time okay nowadays you can have two and so etc but that's that's a different story but let's say you can only have one chest opening at a time so you want to make sure that when you're sleeping that there's chest opening like if you're really engaged you you kind of and if you're like a super fan again this goes also to the principle of like people will like optimize the fun out of games so like if you would only have chests that have a one hour timer there will be guaranteed be players who put an alarm clock on during the night to put the chest opening like to open like once per hour so you want to have chests that have an eight hour timer or a 12 hour timer and you want to ensure that players get those chests during the day so that they can like go and sleep in peace <laughs> yeah okay great no it's a great example and so you know we're building these items and and now we've talked a lot about this kind of retention as the number one metric and then the habits that connect people to that the rhythms of their lives right what do i do when i wake up what do i do when i go to bed making this a part of your life uh, especially as mobile games right you're gonna you're playing it when you're on the toilet you're playing it while you're waiting in line you have all these different options that are that are accessible um and so how does that integrate is great and now you know we kind of put monetization off to the side but we now I, i'd like to, to talk yeah. a little bit about that and i know we're running a little late but I'm, we'll run a little late because this is exciting and interesting and so you know now if somebody wants to open that chest faster they can pay to do that uh right so there's a variety of different things that are available that now how do you think about monetization i know this can get be a yeah. very contentious yeah. subject just to put it out there, right? I believe games yeah. have to monetize in order to be able to make them. So I, but uh, but how do you think about finding that line of how do you monetize? How do you think about monetization? Uh, yeah, this is like this is a yeah. This is a very touchy uh, touchy topic, of course. Like monetization is is uh, it's very very loaded, very uh, very tricky topic, and uh, and 
also like internally it's not like we all have like one single mind about like monetization that we have we have lots of discussions about uh about monetization lots of heated discussions uh about how, how how to monetize how not to monetize what's the best strategy and how do we how do we make but ultimately everybody certainly agrees that like we need to make money like it's it's a business as well and and we need to pay salaries <laughs> and people have more g's and people have kids uh etc so like uh, something needs to happen but but the, yeah monetization one, one tricky thing is that like it, it kind of like compared to traditional games monetization in, in free-to-play games is like it, it creates this weird adversary like relationship between the player and the and the developers like in its in in like a in a toxic extreme it creates this adversary like kind of uh, position uh which for example in this chest example so uh now I talked about how the timers are there to make you feel good about going to bed. But players might see the timers purely as a way to make money. So it's and like that, oh, they put a timer here just to like screw with me. Like it would be much better if it wouldn't have a timer. But then you would burn yourself out because you wouldn't feel like there's a moment where you can like just like leave the game be when you're you have played for like 360 days, etc. So like, and that's like a super hard balance to to like find. And there, I, I don't like have a have a clear answer. But there, for example, how I see the speeding up uh, chess in Clash Royale is that like it's an option. So now like, yes, we offer we give you this this timer so that you can like manage them into the rhythm of your everyday life. But if you pay you can like manipulate that yourself like you can you can like ignore what we are offering you and you can like kind of you can make you can you can you can play more you can get rewarded more uh, uh if you want if you want to have like a longer session for example or something but it's like purely optional so that would be like how i would see it uh yeah i think that there's this there's this there's these different aspects of it where i think um you know, my my I always have this sort of philosophy that I want to be able to give people a ton of value such that when I ask them to pay me for something, they're very happy to do so. And one of the nice things, you know, there's there's degrees where that's not going to be the case. But one of the nice things in principle about free to play is like, look, I can give you a bunch of stuff for free, and therefore you could you can accrue a lot of value before I have to ask you for money. And that's one principle that in theory works better, right? When you buy a, a game at the store, whether it be a board game for $40 or a you know traditional kind of console game for $60, $50, whatever it is, you're stuck. You bought that thing and you, you know, like it or not, you've now had to have this huge upfront cost, which means a bunch of people never get to experience it at all because it's too expensive. Whereas free-to-play games now, they live off of the the whale concept, right? This is this is the kind of kind of tricky other side of this that there's a very very small percentage of players who pay i think i forget what the numbers were like last time i looked at it, it was something like you know the the 0.1 percent of players pay 90 percent of all of the money that goes into these i don't know if that's still accurate but it was something crazy like that um and so you end up in theory having to cater to that small demographic is that 
is that kind of a still the way that it's it's, it's working these it's days va- or it varies quite a lot game uh from game to game but like yeah i the the whale economy is certainly still exists but like but there is like there's quite a lot of push both in the industry and also like within within our company to like uh to like kind of the thinking of like how, how do we get like more people how do we like increase the conversion so that like we wouldn't be reliant on these like uh these individuals uh or like then this very small percentage like how can we get like more people to play for example uh, pay for example like you know five bucks per month or something like that and that's for example the season pass uh which uh now i can't remember like which was the first game that like uh, kind of introduced the season pass uh maybe it was Fortnite that made it popular or something i'm not sure but uh but that for example like the, that's like the opposite of like a whale-based monetization right like you are giving huge value uh for a very small uh for a fairly small like kind of payment and uh but you also like then ask for like engagement from the player so yes yeah the the some some yeah i like the idea of there being some small kind of consistent no-brainer investment if you will you know something that yeah. people can do that they there's some, the nice thing about the season passes is some combination of like of paying and earning right the, the free-to-play idea is i can just play yeah. and earn if i pay a little bit then i can earn way faster and i get some cool yeah. goodies and then you know it's such a good deal that i'll take it and then for people that want even more faster then you you know the higher price items and whatnot they can they can get into i think there's definitely something great there yeah, and i think there are there are certainly some some principles that are like that are like uh, i would say like we at supercell like everybody agrees on like things like like things that you have in your game especially like everything that is related to gameplay like it needs to be earnable also for free like there should not be anything that is like purely behind like a pay game uh, we we could make exceptions on something like, uh, let's say, cosmetics or early access to something or something like that. Like that that could maybe be examples where where it, it could be like pay only. But like basically, for free you would be able to like eventually at least get like anything that exists. Yeah, it 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 yeah. yeah, it's a it's a good principle yeah. to make it, it feel varies. a little better. I mean, a lot of these games where you're yeah, no, yeah, no, sorry, yeah. I mean, it it varies, of course, and it's it's not like kind of like if if there are <laughs> are fans of our games listening to this, that like of course, like we're not perfect always in all these aspects, but that is certainly like a principle that we really need to like stick to. And sometimes it's a bit of a gray line that is it really like free if it takes years to like reach or whatever, then like kind of. But yeah. That's kind of the principle. Yeah, yeah. That's that. There's a lot of that, right? Where the, the if you want to compete at the highest levels in games like Clash of Clans and these other ones, it's very you know the amount of time it takes to get to that tier compared to spending. It's it's very, at least you know, not not realistic yeah. for most people. Uh, so it could be a challenge for sure. Um, so um, I, I'm wondering. All right, we're, we're we're a little over time, so I, I you know I think that there's there's infinite infinite depth on all of these um, these conversations. I think the yeah we we have like very much, like yeah yeah it's been it's been quite uh, sporadic. I feel that I haven't been very good at like explaining it in a like very concise way and like all these topics. But there's like kind no of, no you okay, you've done you. you've done uh, great. Yeah, I feel that we are like just scratching the surface of like uh, 
of, of, of many many things here. Yeah, I, I want to say about monetization one thing about like this this uh, monetization versus like free to play and like uh, and all that. Like so, ultimately, it's 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 really about like the player experience in a way. Whether you pay or you don't pay, like it's our responsibility to like create uh, like. Our, our, as game developers to create like a great experience for the players that's what we want to do we're not it's not always perfect but that's like kind of that's where we aspire right like that's the goal that you should have like a great experience whether you pay a lot whether you pay a little or or don't play, uh, pay at all uh, and uh, so like yeah i think that's something that's like kind of important to, to, to be yeah, player experience is the only yeah. metric that matters at the end of the day. That is the thing that we're all building. And and I know just you know people. It's very easy to demonize you know companies that they you know have with with that are trying to make money. I think that's I, I you know I think that's ridiculous. I think there are definitely bad practices. There are definitely things that are yeah. predatory. But I think the idea that you are able to provide this experience and for more money you can accelerate the experience or have variations on the experience seems you know, totally reasonable to me. And it's what allows the games, you know, millions and millions of players to play for free because these things exist. So, um, and it, I, yeah. And if you yeah, want to develop these games for years, if you want to keep on uh, making new, yeah. <clears throat> new content for the game, new features, the game, or in your case, if you want to make uh, new expansions to Ascension or new exp uh, expansions to Soulforge Fusion, like if the game doesn't make money, then like that's not going to happen. You're not going to get so like that's also about player experience. So if you are a super fan of the game, you do want the company to make money so that they keep on developing the game, so it's like so that you get like again like more and better experiences. Yep, yep. Um, so as you mentioned, there's we could continue to dive deep on all these things, and I I appreciate it. I you you made one comment earlier that you said we would get mm. to, and I just want to make sure we do cover. You talked about how to react to and analyze oh, player yeah. feedback. And uh, I don't want to leave people hanging on that because that's such a another great deep topic. So why not, we'll use that as our last like meaty topic, and then we can close out with anything else you want to say before we uh, we wrap up. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's that's uh, yeah. How to how to analyze like how to talk about uh, look at like player feedback. That's something that's kind of like I'm, I feel that I'm I'm constantly learning a lot. Well, as I'm about like everything, but like constantly learning about like how to how to read player feedback because it can. Uh, it can get quite toxic. Like when you have millions and millions of players, you can imagine that, like you have players, like as many players as there are like people in in like medium-sized countries or even big countries. And so, like, there's a lot of different kind of people in that kind of group. And so you kind of get a lot of different kind of feedback. And not everything is nice not everything is written very nicely or expressed very nicely <laughs> that is a that is a nice way to say that this is a there's a cesspool of hate and vitriol out there <laughs> it can be quite stressful i've i've certainly burned out uh burned out a little bit with with, with that <laughs> with reading that but like so you uh, but something you you kind of have to uh when when reading that feedback or when kind of receiving it you you need to you need to kind of like, as a developer, try to like read between the lines that what are they actually saying. So, as an example, now with our game Squadbusters, uh, the 
when we had our first closed beta, uh, uh, the the number one feedback that players gave to us was that like, hey, uh, you should make more game modes. You should just like make more more game modes because like the, it's it's too repetitive. That like you there needs to be like different things, different rules, etc. And uh, and we listened to that, but we didn't want to make new game modes uh, straight out, so that like because there are some things that happen when you make like a completely different game mode. Like you, for example, you split the player pool. That now you have players who uh, now th- and that starts to affect like matchmaking times and stuff. So now you have like half the players are playing mode A and half the players are mo- playing mode B. Uh, also, like if you if you maybe stagger them, that like sometimes mode A is available and, it's, uh, and sometimes mode B, then you might be that people start to have like really really strong preferences and might not want to play when their favorite game mode is not on or something and then they start to demand that like hey this should be on always why isn't this on, on always and stuff. so it, it creates some uh some uh issues uh with that so we we wanted to kind of like avoid some of those issues and it also didn't feel right to our game so this is also like important you have to like understand game your game that you are making what is correct to it what is correct to like uh, to, to that experience so what we instead did we did is like game modifiers so it's kind of like game modes but not really so what happens is it's it's uh kind of like let's say fall like fall guys has these different game modes but what happens is when you go to a game in fall guys it uh it randomizes which one you're now playing uh, so we did something similar, but we kind of like we still have that same core game there, but we modify that like we we show you that okay you're gonna play on this map, and in this one like some of the monsters are golden, or in this one you get like extra spells or whatever. Like there might be some uh, different kind of like special rules that apply to to this uh, combat. There's extra bosses or there's some like meteorites that are like raining down during the game and so now you have uh so now we had then our second test and now well players still complained about things but they didn't complain about variation and game mode so like we managed to fix this uh thing not with the exact thing that the players said but like with uh by understanding our game and understanding an, uh, our audience and reading between the lines that what do they actually want. So we didn't, we, what we heard was like, they said they want game modes, but how we interpreted that was that like, they want variation. And so we created variation and we created like a system that actually allows us to create even more variation than what the, the kind of traditional method would have allowed us. Because now we can like, crank out lots of these. This would be similar to like, let's say if we would take Marvel Snap as an example, uh, which was also like, uh, could straight say that it's like, it was also one inspiration, like how they do locations, which is like super brilliant, uh, that you, uh, you kind of like go into a match, but you don't know exactly what's going to happen. You have your deck, but you don't know like exactly what locations are there and then they get revealed during the game and then you have to adapt to that so that was kind of the vibe that's like you you get something something random happens and then you have to adapt to that and uh 
And that was kind of like, a, it, it felt like it fit yeah. our game. Like our game is a little bit of this <clears throat> like kind of competitive party game. You could imagine like Mario Party or something like that. So it has kind of like that kind of vibe. Yeah. Now the the value of, um, this is, the, I always just go back to my favorite Neil Gaiman quote, which which speaks to this principle, right? When, you, when you're, he's, he's talking about books, but same plus games. When your readers tell you that something is wrong, they're almost always right. And when they tell you how to fix it, they're almost always wrong, right? If you get enough feedback that says there's a problem, yeah. There is a problem, but what they're telling you Absolutely. is the way to fix it is almost over. That's where the skill of game design comes in. That's where your instincts is like, okay, what's really going on here? What's causing this experience? How do I solve it? And then how do I make sure that it doesn't create a whole host of new problems that that obviously the players aren't even foreseeing? So that's great. Um, that's a great, great piece of feedback to echo. Yeah, and you and you do and you do kind of what you do wanna <clears throat> surprise the players. Like you do wanna like kind of exceed their expectations if you can. Like that's the that's the ultimate uh, like result uh like kind of like if you manage to like kind of fix the problem and exceed their expectations then that's like fantastic uh, yeah but yeah yes that's a great that's a great principle to end it on um so uh if uh i i there's, there's so much great stuff to unpack here i'm pretty sure we could have done in a whole other two hours uh even just covering the same topics let alone other things i wanted to talk to you about so yeah there's, there's a, lot to, a lot to talk about so if people want to um find more you've talked a little bit about the games you're working on um if they want to find more of your stuff or kind of connect whether it's connecting with you online or playing more of your games where yeah where so I, I don't really have like much of an on, online presence like i'm not active active on like uh social medias that much but you could uh if you wanna contact me you could contact me on linkedin for example that would be a good place and then of course like uh supercell games you can go to supercell.com and also like supercell is very active like in all all the social medias you can find the official accounts there and all the games that we have are also like on all the social medias very actively and also like yeah, playable on iOS and Android. Well, I want to thank you again for doing this. I knew we were going to have a great chat because we already had one uh, when we first met uh, at GDC. Uh, you delivered. There's so much great value here. So thanks for coming on. And uh, I can't wait to play uh, play your new game when I finally get access to it. Yeah, thank you so much. It was an honor to be here. Like, yeah, you're, it's, you're my, this is my favorite, favorite podcast, <laughs> game design podcast. And you've had some like really amazing guests. So like, it's a huge honor to be like, a guest here well welcome to that uh honorific uh group it's been great to have you see you again soon all right see you again soon thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed today's podcast if you want to support the podcast please rate comment and share on your favorite podcast platforms such as itunes stitcher or whatever device you're listening on listener reviews and shares make a huge difference and help us grow this community and allow me to bring more amazing guests and insights to you I've taken the insights from these interviews along with my 20 years of experience in the game industry and compressed it all into a book with the same title as this podcast, Think Like a Game Designer. In it, I give step-by-step instructions on how to apply the lessons from these great designers and bring your own games to life. If you think you might be interested, you can check out the book at thinklikeagamedesigner.com or wherever fine books are sold.